Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesday at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Now on to the talking news. Former resident sentenced for indecent assault and battery on a child by Joanna K. Zuvalis. After more than 20 years of eluding authorities overseas and spending time on the Massachusetts State Police's most wanted list, a former resident of Belmont and Lincoln was sentenced to prison on January 25th. Richard Haug, 75, waived his right to a jury trial and pleaded guilty to two counts of indecent assault and battery on a child under the age of 14, for which he received two to two years and one day in state prison, according to Elizabeth Volk, spokesperson for the Middlesex District Attorney's Office. On the count of failure to appear, the defendant was sentenced to 15 months in the House of Correction from and after. A grand jury indicted Hogg in 1992 for charges of rape of a child, indecent assault and battery on a child under 14, assault with intent to rape a child, and providing obscene material to a minor. All incidents occurred in Lincoln, where Haug resided at the time, according to his defense attorney, Steve Weymouth. Haug, who had moved to Belmont by the time of the indictment, posted bail and then never appeared for his trial on August 12, 1992. He instead fled the country. Years after Haug became a fugitive, serving time on the Massachusetts State Police's most wanted list, the State Police's Violent Fugitive Apprehension Section, along with Belmont Police, found Haug residing in Columbia early in 2013, as previously reported by the Citizen Herald. State Police reached out to the U.S. State Department in May of 2013, and after failing once the State Department's Diplomatic Security Service and Colombian immigration officials developed new information on Haug's whereabouts and arrested him in February 2014. State and Belmont Police, as well as the U.S. State Department, were able to find Haug and arrest him while he was taking a taxi between the Colombian cities of Cali and Cartagena. During his time away, Haug was indicted for 30 counts of mail fraud in 1995. According to a press release sent by the office of former U.S. Attorney, District Attorney, Common M. Ortiz, in October 2015, Haug pled guilty to using multiple fake businesses and aliases to defraud more than 150 universities, seminaries, churches, and individuals by taking advanced payments for various encyclopedias, 
one of which he claimed to have authored, despite not possessing the books or having any way to obtain them. Haug was sentenced to 20 months of time served in prison and to pay restitution of $167,883. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Belmont High School Building Committee moves forward with project. The Belmont High School Building Committee, School Committee and School Administration, and Belmont Selectmen made significant decisions regarding the Belmont High School Building Project on January 23rd. The Belmont School Committee voted unanimously to approve a 7 to 12 grade configuration model for the project. The Belmont High School Building Committee voted unanimously to go forward with the design scheme of a major addition with a minor renovation for the project, thereby maintaining, with upgrades, the existing field house and pool. The decision to go forward with a 7 to 12 school configuration and the major addition with a minor renovation design scheme was based on extensive research, including enrollment trend analysis, community design workshops, educational programming analysis, environmental and sustainable design study, cost modeling and analysis, site constraint study, social emotional learning analysis, building systems assessment, traffic pattern and options analysis, grade configuration and district-wide space analysis, community feedback, including 1,794 survey responses, three educational visioning workshops, and teacher and school administrator input. Supporting documentation, including reports and materials for the items mentioned above, is available at belmonthighschoolproject.org. The Belmont School District is experiencing skyrocketing enrollment. The enrollment has increased by 631 students over the past six years. Furthermore, the MSBA's demographers and an independently contracted demographer retained by Belmont both project a steady upward trend of an additional 100-plus new students coming to the district every year for the foreseeable future. These enrollment numbers represent a primary factory factor in both the grade configuration and design scheme decisions. The selected building scheme will address the education and facility-related needs of Belmont's students, and will support continued enrollment, growth, and evolving teaching models. The square footage of the proposed design is based on the number of students and the educational program. The current size of the 9 to 12 high school is 250,120 square feet. The design enrollment for the new 7 to 12 building is 2,215 students, leading to a square footage of 451,575 square feet. At this preliminary stage of the project, estimated project costs are primarily derived from the square footage of the building, 
the square footage cost estimate, consisting of both renovated and new spaces, is created using current building industry cost specific to large high schools in this region. Tom Gatsunas of Dedalius Projects, Inc., the owner's project manager for the Belmont High School building project, and Floyd Carmen, Belmont's town treasurer, have determined that the estimated cost for the 7 to 12 facility will be estimated project cost $313.2 million, estimated MSBA reimbursement $81.4 million, estimated Belmont cost $231.8 million, approximately 74%. Predicated on these project cost estimates, the real estate tax burden to Belmont's homeowners based on a 30-year debt exclusion will be 184 per $100,000 of assessed home value. The BHSBC will continue to focus on finding cost-effective project solutions that are fiscally responsible in both capital and operating costs. Now, over to Max. Thank you, Claire. Pipeline advocates renew calls for expansion. Grid operators warn fuel supply is precarious. By Gary Twatty. The debate over pipelines in New England is intensifying as the region's power grid operators warn of dire scenarios in the future. Without additional natural gas pipeline capacity, rolling blackouts or other emergency actions will likely be needed by the winter of 2024 to 2025 to keep the power system operating reliably, according to a January 17th report from ISO New England, the region's electrical grid operator. <coughs> Fuel security is a growing concern in New England. The regional power system is increasingly dependent on natural gas for power generation. The capacity of, this, of the region's natural gas infrastructure is not always adequate to deliver all the gas needed for both heating and power generation during winter. And natural gas is the fuel, cho fuel of choice for a large segment of new power plant proposals, the report stated. Over the past several years, New England has become increasingly dependent on natural gas for energy production. Roughly 49% of the region's electricity is produced by natural gas power plants, up from 15% in 2000, according to ISO New England. The increased use of natural gas has offset the closure of oil and coal power plants throughout the region. While renewable energy sources have become more widely used in that span, they still account for just 10% of New England's electrical energy production. Due to constrained capacity on the pipelines, bringing natural gas into the region, however, natural gas has been subject to volatile price humps during high demand periods. During the cold snap in early January, the constraints on available supply caused the price of natural gas to spike, prompting energy producers to turn to oil to generate electricity, according to ISO New England. Against that backdrop, many in the natural gas industry have renewed calls for expanding pipelines in New England. There has also been considerable opposition to new pipelines, including from environmental groups. We've heard this before, said Joel Wool, energy and environment advocate with Boston-based Clean Water Action. When it gets cold, the gas industry revs up the PR engines to promote false and destructive solutions 
while aggressively lobbying against renewable energy in the State House. He said there's a financial as well as environmental component to his opposition to more pipelines. Rather than investing in natural gas infrastructure, he advocates increasing energy efficiency and expanding the use of renewable energy. It's a broken logic when people say, we're very reliant on gas, so we need more gas, he said. When we are overly dependent on something, the idea of promoting other kinds of solutions, sorry, the idea is promoting other kinds of solutions, the more we get on one single resource, the more risk we're exposed to, and the less we control we have over our energy costs. The Massachusetts Sierra Club criticized the ISO New England report. This report inexplicably underestimates the amount of renewable energy, i.e. solar and wind, that we know will be coming online in coming years. Yet even a report rigged against clean energy shows that New England can affordably and reliably replace most of its old, dirty, dangerous, and uneconomic power plants without spending billions of dollars on unnecessary gas pipelines, Massachusetts Sierra Club director Emily Norton stated. On the opposite side of the issue, proponents of increasing natural gas pipeline capacity say more natural gas is needed to support a system that includes a growing portfolio of renewable sources. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Foodies Market strives to make store a success. Home delivery and curbside pickup. Foodies Market customers can shop online for home delivery orders using the service rosyapp.com and Foodies employees will handpick the items and deliver them in the special Foodies van. For customers shopping in person at the store, curbside pickup makes it easy. You'll pull your car up to the entrance and we'll bring your groceries right out, said McPhail. Prepared foods make fresh, made fresh in store. Hot and cold bar soups, salad bar, and ready-to-go rotisserie chicken and a variety of gourmet meals are available in Foodies' prepared foods section daily. Our prepared foods are made in-store from scratch, said McPhail. This includes the bakery section, where store patrons can find items like freshly baked breads and elaborately decorated cupcakes. Meat department with on-site butcher shop. Our beef is all high-quality Angus beef, and our sausages are made in-store, as well as our ground beef. We get fresh fish every single day from Captain Martin's, a very local fish company. Belmont Foodies butcher Jeffrey Stone can cut any meat to order. People want more personalized service and human interaction. They want someone who's listening, said Stone customer gift baskets. Foodies makes up gift baskets and fruit baskets for any occasion such as Valentine's Day. Customers can pick up their favorite products from anything in the store and customer service will put together a custom basket. The in-store wine and beer selection provides additional options. Catering. Foodies made custom-made veggie fruits cheese and sandwich platters for any catering events such as Super Bowl parties, McPhail said. Even if it's not on the catering menu, I'll do it. We have lasagna, chicken ziti broccoli, meatballs, 
But if you want shrimp scampi or something else, we'll make it. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Polar Vortex brought burst pipes and leaky roofs by Heather Beasley, Doyle, Melissa Russell, and Joanna Zuvelis. The intense period of cold weather and heavy snow that kicked off the new year caused a range of problems in Belmont and many other Boston area communities. The winter of 2018 has been a cavalcade of storm events, Arctic temperatures, and even a bombogenesis cyclone. These weather events can cause devastating damages, said Robert Ramsey. How to prevent pipe freeze-ups. Insulate pipes on outside walls, in crawl spaces in attics. Seal any leaks around pipes that allow cold air in. Disconnect outdoor garden hoses and use an indoor valve to shut off and drain water leading to outside faucets. Know where your main water shutoff valve is located and how to use it. If you will be traveling or you know the temperature is going to plummet, leave your thermostat on at least 55 degrees. In extreme cold, it's advisable to go even higher. Leave cabinet doors open below the kitchen and bathroom sinks. Arrange for someone to check your home or business daily while you are away to make sure it's warm enough. Contact a professional to shut off and drain your system if you will be away for an extended period. What to do if your pipes still freeze despite preventative measures. If you turn on your faucets and nothing comes out, leave the faucets turned on and call a plumber. Do not use electrical appliances in areas of standing water. You could be electrocuted. Do not try to thaw a pipe with a torch or other open flame because it could cause a fire. You may be able to thaw a frozen pipe with the warm air from a hairdryer. Start by warming the pipe as close to the faucet as possible, working towards the coldest section of the pipe. If your water pipes have already burst, turn off the water at the main shutoff valve and leave the water faucets turned on. Now here's Max. Thanks, Claire. <clears throat> Lieutenant Governor signs agreement with Belmont by Joanna K. Savalas. Belmont officially became the 327th out of 351 towns to sign a community compact agreement with the Commonwealth of Massachusetts on January 29th. A total of $30,000 from the state program will be used for comprehensive financial planning and long-term financial planning. The Community Compact is a voluntary mutual agreement entered into between the baker Polito administration and individual cities and towns of the Commonwealth. The Compact also articulates the, co the commitments the Commonwealth will make on behalf of all communities, including helping the community attain their chosen best practice. This was new town administrator Patrice Garvin's first major accomplishment in her role for Belmont. In seven days, she wrote a grant. It's got to be some kind of record, said Selectman Chairman Jim Williams. Polito said she met Garvin when she introduced the Community Compact Program to Shirley when she was town administrator there. To come here and make that one of the first orders of business for the community under your leadership, thank you, said Polito. 
Community compacts are one of the various tools the administration utilizes to strengthen the partnership between cities and towns and the Commonwealth. By entering a community compact, a community agrees to implement self-selected best practices they select from across a variety of areas. As part of this partnership, the Commonwealth agrees to fulfill a set of commitments and works to provide assistance for a specific community based on their chosen best practice. Lieutenant Governor Polito has signed over 325 compacts with communities across the state and some additional applications are pending. Through its compact, Belmont will work with the Commonwealth to implement the following best practices. Develop a set of formal financial policies and practices and develop and utilize a long-range planning and financial forecasting model. Those are really important studies to undertake and to plan for the future for in the future so that you can free up the dollars needed in this community for the essential services that make up the quality of life here in Belmont. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. According to ally.com, that's A-L-L-Y.com, here are the best ways to avoid hitting potholes. Slow down. The faster you're driving when you hit a pothole, the worse the damage is likely to be. Give some space. Should the car in front of you fail to avoid a pothole, you'll give yourself the time to react if you leave a good deal of space between you and the other driver. Prepare for puddles. When you see a puddle in the middle of the road, it's impossible to know how deep that crater will be, so be very cautious. Hold tight. Potholes can cause a violent jolt to your car, so it's very important that you have a solid grip on the steering wheel. Otherwise, your car can veer into the next lane, or you can lose control entirely. Don't brake. You'll want to avoid braking as you hit the pothole, because doing so can actually cause more damage. And finally, keep your tires full. Properly inflated tires will give your car added protection from potholes. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Resource Night for Substance Use Recovery. Are you looking to enter into recovery? Do you have a loved one that struggles with substance abuse? Representatives from local treatment providers will be available to provide information and assistance 5 to 8 p.m. on Friday, February 8th at the Beach Street Center, 266 Beach Street in Belmont. Some of the representatives include Spectrum Health Systems, Learn to Cope, Magnolia New Beginnings, Hurley House, Square Medical, Column Health, Right Turn, and The Phoenix. For more information, please contact Lieutenant Kristen Daly, Belmont Police Department, 617-993-2554. Thank you. Now here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Belmont nonprofits receive community grants. Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare Foundation has announced the two Belmont nonprofit organizations were awarded a total of $750 from the foundation's Community Spirit 9-11 mini grant program. The organizations receiving funds are Belmont High School with a $500 grant and United States Conference of Catholic Bishops with a $250 grant. 
to commemorate those Harvard Pilgrim members who lost their lives on September 11, 2001, Harvard Pilgrim and the Foundation created the Community Spirit 9-11 mini-grant program. This program allows each Harvard Pilgrim and NTT data employee to award a $250 to $500 grant, completely funded by the Foundation, to the local charity of its choice each calendar year. Since this community grants program began in 2002, Harvard Pilgrim employees have directed more than $5.2 million to thousands of organizations throughout Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire. Back to you, Bob. New study, Racism Linked to Higher Rates of Police Shootings of Unarmed African Americans by Christine Toussaint. Researchers examined the relationship between a state's structural racism and the disparity in the rates at which police shot unarmed black and white people. Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, their deaths sparked nation nationwide outrage from those who say there is a connection between racism and police brutality and received nationwide criticism from those who argue that black people just have more interactions with police. Now experts have weighed in to say that racism is a factor when unarmed black victims die at the hands of police, according to a study out of Boston University. States with more structural racism have a higher racial disparity when it comes to fatal police shootings of armed victims, researchers at BU's School of Public Health found. The study, published recently in the Journal of National Medical Association, is the first of its kind, BU said. Though there is plenty of data on how, to, how the use of force by police is more likely to affect black communities, studies have shown that police kill black people at disproportionate rates, and even that officers are less respectful to black drivers. There has yet to be an examination into the connection between those racial disparities and structural racism at the state level, according to BU. Structural racism uh, pertains to the social forces, systems, and institutions that reinforce inequities. For this study, researchers created an index of structural racism at the state level, measuring residential segregation and disparities in economic status, employment status, educational attainment, and incarceration rates. Researchers also looked at data on fatal police shootings of unarmed victims between January 1, 2013 and June 30, 2017 from the Mapping Police Violence Project. As the state's racism index increased, the researchers found so did the ratio measuring the disparity between police shootings and unarmed black and white victims. This suggests that the higher rates of fatal police shootings of unarmed black victims are not merely a result of more interactions between police officers and black suspects, said co-author Anita Kopoff in a statement. 
Instead, our results indicate that there is some states there is a systematically different response based on the race of the suspect. Looking at segregation led to the biggest association with police shootings, researchers said. For every 10-point increase in the state's racial segregation index, there was a 67% increase in the state's ratio of police shooting rates of unarmed black victims to unarmed white victims. Wisconsin had the highest state racism index, according to the study, at 74.9 out of a rating of 100. There, the rate of unarmed black people shot by police was 15.9 times higher than the rate at which unarmed white people were shot by police. Montana, the state with the lowest racism index, showed no difference in the rate at which unarmed black and white people were shot by police. Along with my colleagues Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News, and we hope that you have enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont.